Hello everyone and welcome to Skilling's first episode on Engineering Leaders. Engineering Leaders is a space where we talk to industry experts about current technical breakthroughs and trends in the industry. For our first episode, we have with us Mr. Anup Srikantaswamy. He is somebody who's got about 12 years of experience in the automotive industry, out of which the last seven years has been with Volvo. He's currently the technical leader at Volvo for Electromobility. He has also worked in the other domains under automotive, for example, like CAV, vehicle assembly and digital transformation. And as of late, he has also been working in electric vehicles, electric powertrains, as well as fuel cells. More about that in today's talk. So with that, I would like to invite Mr. Anup. So welcome to our show, Mr. Anup. Uh, it's wonderful to have you on Engineering Leaders. So to begin with, my first question is, I would like to know a little bit more about your journey in this industry, in the automotive industry. So if you can walk us through that, that would be great. Thank you, Jennifer, for having me uh, here. I think it's a pleasure to meet you and the team. Uh, I'm a graduate mechanical engineer by education, and then I also have a specialization in general management from uh, Cornell University, from S.E. Johnson School of Management. Um, so I started off uh, in 2009 uh, working with uh, Toyota in India. I started off uh, in the year 2012 uh, with Volvo, uh, being uh, uh, one of the lead product project managers uh, for the Asia Value Truck program that we had. Um, and then eventually um, took different positions in Volvo. Uh, currently, I'm a technology manager, um, so I have a global responsibility. I'm leading our efforts in uh, uh, electric vehicles and fuel cells. I belong to a business unit called Quality and Engineering within GTO function. In this uh, years, uh, I took a bit of a break and I had an entrepreneurial journey as well. So we were a health tech uh, insure tech uh, company predominantly. Uh, post that, I moved back to uh, Volvo, so to lead their uh, uh, industry Ford Auto uh, initiatives. I was located in Sweden uh, and then recently moved back due to pandemic. Uh, and then I'm now part of this electro mobility. So you've actually worn multiple hats in the last 12 years of your experience, right? In this particular domain. Um, usually when you look at a professional like yourself, people want to go deeper in the industry, but you've been going broader. Um, Jennifer, I think if you look at uh, the, uh, the way things works within automotive industry, um, you have multiple career paths. You know, people would go for technology um, areas, so they would like to go deeper into understanding how the technology works and stuff like that. Uh, there are other careers where uh, other paths where people would like to take uh, in terms of project management, program management, leading uh, big transformation projects and things like that. I've been there, I've done that. Uh, but what I, uh, you know, in the last decade or so, uh, what, what excites me, what inspires me uh, and what gets me going is to understand the nuances of the business. Um, and that is that is far more uh, strategic. That is far more uh, impactful. Uh, and then I always wanted to upskill myself in the in the business aspects of it. Uh, so I uh, I had the opportunity to um, uh, have great mentors uh, who who helped me 
uh, transition uh, into that. So, so that's that's uh, that's pretty much sums up. Where so, you would definitely say that even as a senior professional, upskilling, you know, constantly is something that is like a need of the hour that one needs to do, right? Absolutely. At any age. Absolutely. I think uh, the day when you uh, think that you you uh, you will not be able to learn, that is when you actually um, that is the end of the life. So, so. You, I think there is enormous amount of learning in all walks of life uh, and I think uh, it's and especially in this kind of uh, uh, disruptive world it's it's important for you to keep upskilling uh, open to learning new things adaptability basically. adaptability and flexibility are the keywords here perfect <laughs> So you are the technology leader at Volvo for Electromobility. So, you know, when you talk about electric vehicles, the first thing people think about is going to be cars and scooters, right? But at Volvo, you guys are more focused on heavy vehicles like construction vehicles, there's trucks, there's buses. Why do you think it's important that Volvo does it? What is the vision behind, you know, focusing in such a niche area? And why do you think this is very important for the future of EV as well? If you see, um Largely, uh, 2019, uh, globally, um, we had about 2.3 million electric vehicles, right? In 2013, it was few thousands. Uh, so there is an enormous growth and there is enormous potential. Despite this, we are still scratching the surface. So can you imagine Tesla, uh, which is the world leader in uh, electric vehicles, uh, is valued at what 250 billion dollars and they are they are not even i mean we are not even there at 2.5 million vehicles I, imagine the amount of potential that electric vehicle industry brings in now this is the first part uh, now coming to volvo group our focus has been the um, you know trucking uh, business so 82 percent of our business uh, is with trucks i would say in order for us to have uh, our goods delivered to your doorsteps, you know, when you order for, when you order with Amazon, so you have a hassle-free, um, you know, doorstep delivery and these kind of things. So the entire mobility leg uh, is is enabled by the trucking industry at different stages, and this is a huge. Uh, societal impact that we are creating. Yeah, that completely makes sense. It's a wonderful way of seeing also when you're talking about uh, transportation by heavy trucks, giving you more business as well in one way. Yeah, right. That's perfect. So that's quite interesting. Uh, but as you know, for India's 2030 goal to go completely electric vehicle, um, there's a lot that needs to be done. So can you put the vision that we have for 2030 in numbers? So if you if I put it into numbers uh, so if we can categorize this into various vehicle segments the first is two-wheeler and three-wheelers which is huge uh, so i think india is predominantly a two-wheeler and three-wheeler market 80 percent of our um, you know current uh, ic engines uh, are sold for uh, to two-wheelers two and uh, three-wheelers so that means that accounts to 80 percent of the market then comes the passenger vehicle and then comes the commercial vehicles. So in commercial vehicles, you talk about buses and uh, trucks. In trucks, it could you can further classify into heavy duty, medium duty and light duty uh, transportation. But if you see largely, uh, what I uh, personally feel is that uh, I think two-wheeler and three-wheeler are the ones that are immediately 
going to create that momentum. Uh, so you can see now uh, Ola Electric coming up with the Gigafactory. And um, I think Aether uh, have already created that initial traction that was needed. By, by creating this initial momentum with two-wheelers and three-wheelers, so we have our supplier ecosystem getting ready uh, for this electric revolution in India. Because on the supply side, it is extremely important to have simultaneous engineering and collaboration with suppliers. So if you look at Ola Electric, for instance, they are talking about every, you know, every second a vehicle goes out of their production line. So that is the tack time in which they are speaking. By doing so, uh, in the next uh, two to three years, uh, this this sort of creates momentum and, and and the suppliers will be able to learn from from these high volume um, and, and and there will be a lot of uh, value engineering and simultaneous engineering activities that we will be driving and there will be more scope for innovation and this will give highway for passenger vehicles and commercial vehicles to catch up. So on top of my mind, when you talk about this, I think there are two big challenges that one needs to think of. One would be the technology aspect and the other would be the logistics. So I would like to first start off with the technology aspects of it. So when it comes to you know India, do you think we're equipped? What are we doing about it? So let's say if you look at, um, if you look at the entire uh, electric vehicle value chain, uh, so you have the lithium ion refineries that are necessary for you to have the raw materials ready. Then comes the cell manufacturing. So you need to have those lithium ion cells, which are the core of the electric vehicle uh, industry. And then several set of cells makes the battery and the battery pack. Uh, so that is another leg in this value chain and ultimately the vehicles. So in the entire value chain, so you are looking at um, a lot of technology that, that gets, for instance, right from extracting the lithium ion to, to, uh, to its refinement or whether to make, let's say, green cells, um, that is also largely uh, important. Uh, and then uh, the, the technology associated with, uh, for instance, battery pack, you know, BMS and things like that, and ultimately integrating it into a vehicle. Now, let's come to the logistics part of it. Now, this is a huge plan by 2030 to have so many electric vehicles out on the road. Now, considering we're going to have a massive number of them, yeah, you're also going to be needing charging stations, repair, maintenance and other kind of support, right? So what is the plan? How are we going to do that? And uh, how are we going to lead the way for that? In terms of, uh, Jennifer, in terms of consumer adoption to electric vehicle, you know, this is the single biggest challenge that the EV industry has, you know, when it comes to charging infrastructure. So let me give you a personal uh, example. Uh, in 1998, my father uh, bought a Maruti Omni. Uh, back then we were in Mysore. Uh, so so uh, the, the salesman uh, from, from this uh, Maruti dealership, he, he was a kick-ass salesman. He said, uh, you know, we have a new product which is fitted with a catalytic converter uh, and you, you're going with an unleaded petrol. And my father being an engineer himself, uh, he was blown away with this and the little environmental impact that he wanted to create. So he bought it. Uh, little did we realize that when we took it back to Mysore, there was only one petrol bunk and one pump which could feed those unleaded petrols. So 
Uh, I still remember there were days when we used to, uh, you know, the, the, the bunk used to run out of the stock uh, with these unleaded petrols and for months it was not available. So we used to store, uh, you know, this 35 liter tanks, you know, we used to have uh, fuel refilled and, and keep it uh, back in the garage. I wouldn't recommend that though now, but uh, but that, that was the scenario. Now, if, if you apply that in, 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 a, in a bigger scale here, until and unless uh, you and me see a charger uh, in the public places, we will not buy uh, the electric vehicles. So this is purely from a customer point of view, right? So no matter how much amount of range uh, the, the product comes with, you still have something back of your mind that I may run out of battery and I'll have to recharge it. So this is the single biggest uh, challenge in terms of adoption. Um, there are various efforts that has been taken to uh, to amplify this. Uh, however, it uh, you know we we still have a long way uh, to get there. So about repair and maintenance, uh, how are we doing that? Let's say um, Jennifer, I think um, uh, with um, with electric vehicles, um, from a purely service cost point of view, this this is my personal view. Uh, I think it would be one third the service cost of when you compare it with ice uh, because i think we have fewer uh, moving parts in uh, in the in the electric vehicles uh, the complexity is slightly uh, less uh, in terms of moving parts and, and stuff like that uh, <coughs> so um, so you you will still have to uh, it's you know electric vehicles or fuel cells these are not uh, zero maintenance vehicles so you still have to have uh, maintenance um, so probably you will have to, let's say, replace your air filters, uh, change the tires and uh, uh, probably re refuel your coolants and things like that. So there is uh, maintenance associated with that. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, um, what is more important here is to look into, um, is there a way we, we probably um, revolutionize this uh, service uh, servicing space as well when it comes to automobile uh, you know just to put some numbers <coughs> i was doing uh, research myself and i found out that there is around 2 million that is 20 lakh uh, trained mechanics uh, uh, who are in this uh, you know unorganized fragmented space so for instance you uh, you might see a mechanic uh, who is right opposite to your house who is equally good if not more than a toyota technician right so uh, if you give him your vehicle he would be able to do that as well so two million is pretty huge 20 lakh workforce so imagine if you are able to put them under a platform uh, bring them together and then uh, utilize their uh, expertise and skills uh, to service this entire fleet of electric vehicles that we are going to have. I think that's a... That uh, would be a massive turnover. Yeah, yeah. There should be a startup around this. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, now let's uh, talk a little bit about fuel cells. You know, 10 to 15 years ago, if somebody had to tell fuel cells was going to make a big impact, that was a question mark. But now I think people are taking that seriously. So where are we going towards, um, you know, things when it comes to fuel cells and how is the impact on it uh, for the EV part of it? Um, so I think the technology is uh, still in the nascent stage, so it has to evolve. I mean, there, there is a fundamental uh, difference uh, 
in 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 how people look at fuel cells uh, to me personally how i look at it is that fuel cells are not an alternative to battery electric vehicles fuel cells are an extension to bevs uh, whereas fuel cells could be an alternative to ice the ice engines uh, so this is a fundamental approach right so um, in order to get things right i think uh, you need to be very clear with the vision in which you are driving um, so uh, from from that aspect uh, purely from an upfront cost uh, with the technology and things like that it has far more higher upfront cost uh, so we are still figuring out how we have to localize and make uh, electric bevs uh, you know viable for customer so i think we are we are quite far with with fuel cells now if you look at it from a application point of view uh, so will you will you need a fuel cell vehicle for two wheelers and three wheelers definitely not will you need uh, fuel cells for passenger vehicles maybe yes uh, could be viable uh, but what are all the areas where fuel cell could be uh, a major application so fuel cells could be a major application in long haul trucking right so for example you are driving from here to mumbai uh, so all you have is a highway and then you have to drive uh, probably refuel uh, at at some station so so long haul trucking uh, could be uh, feasible for for fuel cells but uh, but but i think you have to largely look at it from a segment wise and you have to look at it from an application wise rather than uh, you know this one size fits all uh, So can you also tell us a little bit about the safety aspects of the hydrogen cells? Um you know we we are fascinated by the fact that the exhaust of the fuel cell is water right Now imagine a scale where every vehicle on earth is a fuel cell vehicle right so it, the trucks the buses the cars and things like that The amount of water that is drained out of those vehicles I'm exaggerating a bit we are literally creating a swimming pool right on the roads is it is it good to uh, you know drain water on the roads or is there a mechanism that we have to figure out uh, where we have to store it in a tank and then drain it uh, at some point uh, if if so we are adding weight and then there are safety aspects associated with that uh, so, so you are complicating yeah. and and the, the more you are complicating the things um, so the the more is a risk on the safety so of course the, we are trying to figure out solutions uh, to work around this and there will be solutions and i'm very positive about it but i'm trying to give you a reality uh, that where we are so it's it looks fancy when you say okay uh, we have to have fuel cells we have to have bevs it is good um, and i think we need to move in that direction but today where we are uh, we have um, Uh, let's say limitations in technology the technology has to evolve um, and then there are a lot of associated infrastructures that needs to uh, evolve as well to to get there so so it's slightly further behind uh, bev adoption i would say so now i want to talk about something that not a lot of people are discussing at the moment that would be the talent gap in an industry that is ever evolving right there's a lot of updates a lot of things that are still in the works right so to be honest we all know that the indian education system is not in pace at the moment with what's happening in the industry so how difficult do you see you know the right talent to be hired or the right talent fitting into the industry how difficult is it right i'm of a person who believes that higher the exposure uh, 
the greater is the chances of success, right? So it is applicable for every aspect of life. So if you look at the tier one uh, engineering colleges, like for instance, IITs and NITs, they pretty much are much better in terms of giving uh, exposure to their students. However, uh, I think uh, the tier one, uh, tier two and tier three colleges and universities have to put in a lot more effort uh, in terms of getting closer to the industrial needs. Now, if you look at uh, largely the automobile uh, industry, so you, you have, I think, roughly 35 million jobs today, you know, around 20% uh, of, of these uh, are from the tier one colleges, so IITs and NITs. Whereas predominantly the 80% of this comes from tier two and tier three uh, colleges. So there has been um, always a huge investment that a company makes on uh, he or she who joins uh, just out of college. I mean, even today, a large part of uh, automotive industry works on waterfall methodologies, which means that uh, you were hired because you had the ability to get things done. You had the ability to keep things together. Uh, and then you had uh, possibility, possibly the aptitude that is required to get in uh, and do the job. So this is how a person was evaluated uh, pretty much to, to, to be onboarded onto a company whether it is uh, fresher or experienced. So it's a different scale. Whereas if you look at today, um, some of the organizations are already leading in terms of transitioning to agile methodologies. It's funny sometimes in automotive industry, uh, when you say uh, agile, they think implementing Jira tool is, is agile, but, but it's far beyond that. Uh, there is a fundamental shift in the way we think about product with, with agile methodologies. So today, uh, I think in order for you to be attractive to employers, uh, the best is to hone your skills on uh, design thinking, critical thinking and system thinking. So the, the day you get a grip on these three things, uh, you're far more employable. Uh, because today, largely, um, the organization are driven productized and, and, and uh, uh, it's more than the repetitive task that people used to do before. So you're starting to see a large OEMs possibly giving you case studies, uh, asking you to present on, uh, for instance, uh, uh, how, would, uh, how would this product look like or how would you optimize, how would you solve the problem. So, so problem solving and these kind of things are far more critical. Uh, added to that, uh, with this EV coming into picture and agile methodologies into picture, certain amount of specialization is required. So the specialization drives the salaries. Much more refined and niche Absolutely. compared to the options. Yeah. So I was interested even in the recruitment part of it. So this is a growing industry. So currently you said there's you know, a particular amount of jobs available in the market. How much do you see that increasing in the next five years? Well, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, in the, uh, by 2030, there is uh, this um, uh, prediction that I think uh, the, the automotive sector or the EV sector uh, at large is going to create 100 million jobs. Uh, so that's a massive amount of, uh, that's more like three times more than what it is right. today. Uh, so pretty much uh, all smart people have the, uh, you know, their job in, in some of the coolest companies. So, yeah. So in about 
nine years, you're saying that's going to be a massive boom of jobs. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you... But currently also, I think there is quite a bit of growth, literally every other year. I think there's something or the other that's been coming up, basically. So there is quite a bit of growth. Absolutely. You know, when I say 100 million, it starts from now until yes, 10 years. Yes, yes. So you're already starting to see the traction with Ola Electric coming into uh, building their Giga factory or, you know, having their technology center in Bangalore. So they're massively recruiting. So this is just a start. Uh, then you, uh, you know, you have you know, the, the biggest two-wheeler maker in the world is Hero Motors, right? So uh, they have been experimenting on their electric vehicles, uh, but however, they're an investor in Aether as well. Uh, so, uh, however, you can expect from in the days to come, so Hero might have their gigafactory and technology centers associated with electric vehicles. There could be TVS is coming up. Uh, with, with their uh, roadmap with electric vehicles. Then you have Bajaj uh, planning to also create a different brand for, for electric vehicles. And this is all just in the two-wheeler. This is just in the two-wheeler. And think of Mahindra Electric, Tata. Tata wants to go for uh, fully electric. Um, then you have the multinationals, like for instance, Volvo Group, you have Volkswagen, Toyota, who have been in the Hyundai. So we have been in the business for nearly 20, 25 years. So, um, there is a massive opportunity uh, and with Tesla coming to India, uh, I think this entire space will shake up. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, it's an exciting time to be engineer. So, what do you think um, a tech platform should be doing? For example, when you take Skillink, right? We build our own curriculum with industry experts. We see that we give them job relevant skills. Um, we have instructor led sessions also from industry experts. So what more can be done in order to address this gap, at least in the edtech platform? Right. The, the broader question is, how would you upskill and reskill the current um, employees that you have in the organization that is the first part of it and the second one is that when you hire people uh, outside the organization whether it is freshers or experienced um, so how would you ensure that they have the necessary uh, skills preloaded into them so this is where perhaps uh, you know uh, edtech platforms like skilllink um, will have uh, a huge role uh, to play uh, for instance uh, uh, you know, uh, for upskilling and reskilling, uh, every company spends enormous amount of uh, time, energy, effort, and money um, uh, to to sort of support the employees to to uh, to take on their next big role that they they want to. And and one of the necessary ingredients is to be equipped with the necessary domain expertise that is required to to get onto that role. Uh, I think this is where this is where we have a gap today. Uh, so, for instance, there are if you look at the entire EV industry uh, in, the, in the entire value chain, there are lots of uh, new technologies that we have a possibility to apply, uh, uh, where where we will have to develop these skills uh, uh, to to the um, to the potential employees and also to our current workforce. Uh, so there is possibility to sort of uh, have um, the industry leaders or the technology experts or the people who have worked hands-on uh, probably uh, utilize their expertise to transfer those knowledge to the, uh, to the uh, entire 
workforce. So in, in some way, uh, if you look at uh, automotive industry have been uh, pretty good in terms of uh, job rotations. So, so you know, you, you have, you have 100,000, 200,000 uh, employees uh, globally, and then you get to actually move around the organization, take different roles. So that has always been the case, and I think it will continue to be. Uh, then there is some amount of, uh, this, this accounts to large part of the organization. And then there is um, a next layer, which is a few, um, uh, a few people by the time uh, the, we are going to go 100% electric, they are going to retire. So there are, there are going to be that set of uh, people who will be moving out of the organization and industry uh, where you will recruit people fresh out of uh, graduates, uh, fresh graduates out of schools or, um, or people who are already industry ready from, from an EV point of view. Uh, and then there is only some portion of the jobs that gets redundant. Uh, and that is where you have to actually put focus to, to sort of upskill and reskill them so that they are far more, uh, uh, they have a better possibility to be employed. Uh, so, so that is that is the area in which we need to focus. So, so if you look at um, any uh, OEMs, largely, uh, I mean, previously, technical expertise um, used to be shared with suppliers and and the OEMs. So the the kind of um, knowledge stack that you used to have were distributed uh, with various levels. Like you used to have suppliers, then you have the OEM on top of it. So it was it was kind of distributed. Today we are talking about vertical integration in more or less every areas, um, which means that we will also have to look into vertical integration on the talent side as well. So, so we have already started to see that the electric vehicle companies are starting to hire, hire special uh, people with specialities uh, in terms of you know their their expertise in battery management, their their core expertise in batteries. So they are they are directly employing people with with this background and and, and expertise and skills. So so it's important. Uh, for us to build that within the organization as well and provide opportunity for uh, people who are already employed because you know you have such a loyal workforce who have worked with you for 20 years 30 years um, and, and they have been with you with all the ups and downs and it's it's important for every organization to give them a chance to actually transition their careers and I think every employers is very serious about this. And that is where the EdTech platforms could be a bridge, uh, if I say so. So what would your advice be to students who are currently pursuing mechanical engineering and you know, automotive engineering as a course? Um, how do you think they should prepare for this to get into the EV sector? First of all, my message to them is they are on the right track. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's good to be in this space. I think this is a very exciting space. Um, so my advice, uh, or I would say suggestion uh, is that uh, let's say, if you look at, we are in the middle of fourth industrial revolution, right? So this is, this is the very beginning of digital transformation, fourth industrial revolution, and, and there is a lot of uh, initiatives that are ongoing globally. Uh, so with that said, uh, what drive, what is driving this fourth industrial revolution is in terms of those disruptive technologies, if I talk about. There are pretty much nine disruptive technologies uh, that are 
actually uh, impacting or disrupting the way we are doing things today. So to name a few, those technologies are, for instance, 5G, cloud computing, artificial intelligence and machine learning. You have digital twin, additive manufacturing. So there are, you know, some more as well. So, uh, for instance, if, uh, you know, these are technologies which are going to create very high paying jobs in the near future. So these are these are the specializations that I talked about, right? So uh, every uh, every automotive industry is putting enormous amount of effort in terms of digitalization. So uh, adapting uh, AI ML data platforms to to sort of optimize their processes and things like that. So so you have a wide uh, variety of uh, uh, opportunities, and then what is important is to have one and uh, and kind of master that uh, and that gives you far, far more um, that that will make you uh, attractive to uh, employers so so that's uh, uh, that's pretty much my suggestion and advice to okay so when you talk about electric vehicles the first thing you think is a mechanical engineer would get into this field automotive engineer would get into this field but you were also talking about ai and it's still a you know, a particular sector that's still growing. What would you think are the other engineering, I would say, pursuing degrees that could look into this? For example, for AI. Oh yeah, I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, you know, if you look at the traditional automobile, it was more of a car. Now you're talking about it as a device. Right. So mostly we are hiring computer science engineers and, and you know electronics uh, engineers into into this space because we are we are talking about different things here. So if you if you look at the automotive industry, so there are the research and development, which is in some way a large employer uh, from from a department perspective. Uh, so there you have possibility to explore the technology side of it. Uh, then you have uh, manufacturing engineering, for instance. So, you know, those are process design and process development, um, manufacturing engineering. These are, you know, these are equally good spaces. For instance, you have a lot of <laughs> application of AI uh, and ML uh, already now in this space than actually uh, right. on, the, on, the, on the product development part of it. So. Uh, this is one such uh, area. Then you talk about the purchasing and sourcing uh, departments in, in, in any of the OEMs, for instance. It's a huge organization where we talk about a lot of PNL, for instance. Um, blockchain plays a, a phenomenal role uh, in this purchasing department. I mean, when we write contracts to, to suppliers, you know, uh, there, there is uh, there is a whole lot of new opportunities. So so it's not just mechanical and automotive engineers that would account to I don't know forty to fifty percent. I think forty percent, but the sixty percent uh, is is largely computer science, electronics, and these kind of things. So there are areas where, for instance, power electronics. Uh, we talked about um, um, battery management systems. So these are purely software uh, stack that you are going to build. Uh, on top of your battery layers to, to manage and optimize that. Uh, so these are the other areas for Multiple instance. Multiple areas in the way yeah. that they can. Yeah. So how do you think the current engineers in the automotive industry can, you know, kind of move on to EV and adapt? So um, 
let's say, f for instance, um, I was speaking to a friend of mine who is a surgeon and happens to be a venture capitalist as well. So a kind of unique combination. The guy said, um, you know, so much of, I mean, a large part of the money uh, within the healthcare space is going for cancer research or heart or diabetic related research and stuff. So, um, you know, if you, if you look that, you know, if you kind of apply that analogy here, um, the IC engines are going to stay for the next couple of years at least. But will there be any investment or funding to do further development uh, in terms of technology and things like that? Maybe not. Uh, so as in, I think it will slowly scale down in terms of uh, funding and investment because every everyone is focusing on, um, you know, channelizing their capital to electric vehicles, uh, fuel cells and the future technology. So being an engineer, uh, it is important for you to work on uh, some of the exciting stuff. So at least I as a person feels that I want to be part of some of the innovative uh, programs that that the organization runs. And if you are one such person, it is important for you to be part of the EV. Uh, you, you will still keep your job, perhaps, if you are in the ICE space and probably you would enjoy that as well. Uh, but I think if you want to have far more meaningful impact, I think it's important for you to make a transition to EV. Um, there are several ways to make a transition. First is that if, uh, if and when within your organization you have a possibility to be part of, let's say, some of the investigations or uh, running the pre-study or these kind of things. So these these kind of um, experience uh, will create some sort of opportunities for you to to sort of you know transition yourself to EV. So that is one one step within the companies. Right. I mean, the second one is that uh, I think every organization runs a lot of upskilling and reskilling. Uh, we talked about it earlier as well, what edtechs will play a role going forward. So I think you can take such opportunities to transition yourself. And one thing that is not very common in India, but I would like to personally see this happening is internships at different levels. So if you look at US or some of the developed uh, countries, uh, people take a step back when they are making a career transition, they would like to go as interns, even, even if they are in middle management or senior management positions. So they would like to uh, work with, for instance, uh, as an intern with, with, with a founder or, or uh, let's say uh, a middle management role, uh, internship in Tesla, for instance, or, or, or a um, graduate entry level. So there are, uh, I think it's, it's important uh, that possibly if we have such a possibility going forward, companies like, you know, uh, Ola Electric, Aether or, or any of the multinationals, like whether it is Volvo or Toyota, if, if we are able to create such opportunities for people uh, to, to join the organization, do their internships, they get to learn and we get to benefit from their experiences as well. Uh, and uh, and that will that will help building this ecosystem. So uh, so I think we have to look at it f largely from from that aspect. So, so um, now that we're at the end of you know this discussion, I also wanted to talk about your entrepreneurship journey as well. So um, you've actually built an app, 
right or a product i guess um it's called dr bean can yeah. you just tell us a little bit about that journey and why all of a sudden there was an interest in this and what it is and how did all that begin all right i think um back then it was i think in 2000 14 uh, or 2015 2015 yeah uh, i was in france and uh, i had to get hospitalized uh, and then uh, the you know it was it was funny i was i, I can't speak uh, speak french uh, and none of my colleagues could speak french and uh, at that point of time we were on a business trip and then uh, i was hospitalized and then there were a lot of uh, uh, you know lot of things that were uh, happening around me and then one thing i got to see was uh, there were a lot of use of digital technology in in those um, in that particular french hospital uh, then um, then i came back uh, to india and then uh, uh, i went to one of the super specialty hospitals that we have in bangalore uh, and incidentally the total experience was different so so i was waiting in a long queue and then um to to meet the doctor and then to get it examined it was it was a hassle so then uh i i happened to discuss it with uh, with my fellow colleague and um, uh, and, and a friend of mine uh, and then we said okay why don't we do something about this uh, that's how we uh, conceptualized dr bean initially it was called jiva uh, we were uh, among the first a uh, few online pharmacies in india uh, we were we were pretty good actually we were doing a 30 minute delivery in bangalore uh, so we were a hyper local delivery model uh, so we partnered with a lot of uh, pharmacies around uh, bangalore uh, delhi and in mumbai we scaled it to delhi and mumbai as well uh, and then uh, we were starting to deliver medicines uh, uh, online so uh, you know a, a customer can take a picture uh, you know picture of the prescription and send it to us and then we deliver the medicine within 30 minutes so we were the one who first brought up, brought those things um then while we were scaling it up we had lot of regulatory challenges and things like that and uh, at that time it was massive some of the companies were wiped out at that time so we so we pivoted it into a prepaid healthcare model where we were uh, partnering with uh, companies like infosys mindtree and to to offer let's say cashless opd services to to their employees and family cashless opd you mean if you look at today insurance is that um, you have to be hospitalized for 24 hours to claim those insurance whereas going to doctor consultation getting medicines or diagnostic services are not covered in that so our model was to cover those aspects in in so it was a cashless opd prepaid healthcare uh we were we were doing pretty good and then there were some uh, macro factors that uh, were very challenging so we dismantled the uh, organization uh, a part of it is still running uh, it's uh, it's incubated in im bangalore in nalsar uh, one of my co-founder is still running the show uh, so this is a bit of a entrepreneurial journey that i had lovely so you know in the last 12 years of your journey when it comes to your career you've worn multiple hats not just in ev but you've also had a uh, you know completely different side of things going into tech so um before you finish this complete conversation and we wrap up today's session i just want to know if you would like to say a few words to the young engineers and students watching this video right now sure i think um scoring marks and um, 
you know, be, being part of, uh, um, you know, university education is, is really important. It is good. But I think you need to think beyond that. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, as students, you have nothing to lose, right? So you have to take big bets, big bold bets, um, you know, uh, engage yourself, be part, uh, be part of uh, some of the uh, initiatives with ed techs, get yourself, um, you know, upskill, uh, upskill yourself, understand how the business runs, probably start a startup, um, you know, try to understand how the business functions or, um, you know, get into the innovation side of it. I mean, do research. Probably this is, this is, um, this is a golden opportunity. So you get to, um, you get to have your own patents. So, so uh, there is a lot of things that you can do around. And, and then uh, the last part is uh, in order to be employed. Uh, and that is always uh, a big opportunity. So, so find the right employer. Uh, who whose values and, uh, and 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 the culture of the company uh, has far more um, social impact uh, than than just uh, joining an organization which uh, which has mere merely any um, you know value associated. So so I think these are some of the uh, things that you have to as a student uh, make choices, uh, which is difficult. It is not uh, it's not easy. Uh, but I think you have a lot of people around you uh, who can mentor you and, and take you towards that. So uh, explore those opportunities. So thank you so much for joining us today on this particular session in Engineering Leaders in Stanhope. And we wish you all the best for all of your future endeavors. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank, thank you, you so for having much. me. Lovely seeing you.